Steve Austin. Nonsense. My name is Derek. Uh, here with you on Memorial Day weekend is actually when I'm recording this. Uh, if you're a subscriber to the Patreon, you will get early access to this episode. It goes live to the free feeds on Tuesday when we return back to work or whatever you're doing uh, during the stay-at-home order, which in certain areas has been lifted. So um, if you're in a place where the, the stay-at-home order has been lifted, you know, um, number one, practice cautiousness, stay safe, continue to wear your mask despite what, you know, some of these groups will tell you uh these extremist groups telling you that the government made it all up or not even just the government saying specifically the democrats made it all up and it was a lie and all that stuff stay safe uh don't let anybody rope you into any nonsense that could cost you your health or the health of your loved ones and things like that um again i'm always here just to try to provide a little entertainment for everybody um, I haven't talked about anything wrestling related since I did the Montreal Screwjob episode, and um, this is always a, a very strange topic for me because I remember vividly when it happened. Um, May 23rd, 1999, Kansas City, Missouri. I believe it was at the Kemper Arena. I'm not exactly sure. Um, if you're a wrestling fan, you remember the WWF Over the Edge pay-per-view um it was supposed to be a really great night i remember you know me and my friends being really psyched and and really ready for the pay-per-view and uh then unfortunately was the night that owen hart tragically lost his life um now the reason we're talking about this is because obviously the anniversary of that would actually wow today actually is the anniversary of that date uh just looking at the calendar so uh, very, very eerie. I didn't plan to record it on this date. It just happened to land on this date. But the main reason I was actually recording this is because um, Vice TV just finished Dark Side of the Ring Season 2, and the uh, season finale happened to be the uh, death of Owen Hart, where they go in-depth about this. Again, um, Owen Hart, a phenomenal wrestler, um, per everybody who knew him for his time in WWF and, you know, um, just wrestling circles, his time, you know, being a, in Stampede Wrestling, his father, obviously, the legendary Stu Hart, uh, Owen also the brother of the great Bret Hart, um, brother-in-law of Jim the Anvil Neidhart, who unfortunately passed away, uh, I believe two years ago, Jim, who obviously was the father of Natty, uh, Natalia, probably one of the top three female wrestlers on the planet in my opinion anyway um and then you know also owen being the brother brother-in-law of davy boy smith who of course was the british bulldog who passed away some years ago as well so um the the night of the uh the pay-per-view again kansas city missouri may 23rd 1999 uh, next year will be the 20th anniversary of it. I remember very vividly. Um, I am a super big wrestling fan. Um, so, and just like me and my friends growing up, I don't know if a lot of them are still into it. I'm very much into it, which, you know, with everything going on, you know, it, it's hard to, I, I'm amazed that AEW and WWE are still holding shows. I'll go there, right? Because for social distancing purposes, I wouldn't say it's exactly safe to have people have simulated, rest, you know, fights 
uh, via television. And even though there are no fans in these arenas, you're still put, putting a lot of people within six feet of each other. Remember, they're wrestling, so they have to be extremely close. They have to have physical contact. You also have a cameraman who is, if not in the ring with them, is up on the ring apron. You have a referee. You have a medic outside of the ring in case anything could go wrong. Um, you have the timekeeper, uh, the bell ringer. Um, so you're saying, let's say in a regular one-on-one -on -one match, you got both competitors. That's two. You have your cameraman. And usually there's about two uh, handheld cameras on the floor because you're getting different angles. So you'll say four there. Then you got the referee that makes five. The medic makes six. Uh, the ring announcer makes seven unless they keep them away. Either way, just with the immediate people, you have six people all within a 10-foot area of each other. So it's not exactly safe. Now, Vince McMahon being who Vince McMahon is, I'm not surprised. He got the governor of Florida to give the WWE essential status as a business so they could remain open. As big as a wrestling fan that I am, that is absolute bullshit. It's not an essential business. I'm sorry. And again, you're hearing this from the mouth of a very big fucking wrestling fan. Um, but nonetheless, they're still performing. Now, AEW, completely different, and that's run by a different set of people. And the fact that they're also still you know, doing TV and doing shows, that also a bit surprising to me. So... With all this going on, I guess I could find solace in wrestling and be like, hey, well, at least I still got wrestling because I don't have basketball and I don't have hockey and I don't have baseball. Um, the NBA is in talks with the people at Walt Disney World in Orlando to resume play there in late July. Um, and the players would basically live in sort of a campus setting uh, on the Disney, Disney campus. Um, the NHL apparently has approved a 2014 playoff to resume play. Um, I don't even think it should be 24 teams. For the NBA as well as the NHL, I think 100%. And this, by the time you guys actually hear this, we may have something set in stone. It may be completely different. The NBA and the NHL were both down to the twilight of the season. You have the 16 teams. Their playoff seating, you know, it goes down to the last day of, se of the season. Somebody could jump somebody or whatever, what have you. You shut the season down in mid-March, and there was only so much left. For them to come back in July, at that point, everybody does not need to resume play. The 16 teams in the NHL and the 16 teams in the NBA that were seated in pay playoff positioning at the time, those were the only teams that need to return to play. That way, you keep the number of people down in a certain area, right? You don't need all these other clubs returning. And for the NHL to be like, we're going to do a 2014 playoff, for what? If you're not going to include all the teams and complete the regular season, then you only need to have the 16 teams that were in playoff position return to play. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. They can't argue to me about money, losing money. The television contract checks have been cashed already. You're not putting any fans in the stands, so you're not losing money on attendance. To send all those teams back to play is just ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense at all. That's my two cents about it. I'm going to stick to that. Anyway, as I stated, you know, I guess some people are like, well, you should be happy that you have wrestling considering the fact that you don't have any other sport right now. 
fine. That's your opinion. It is what it is. But also, the WWE Network exists, and you can go watch classic wrestling anytime if you want to. Wrestling is one of the ultimate fan sports because the only people that know the finish are the competitors, Vince and the creative team, and the producer for the match. You know, whether it's Otis working with uh, Dolph Ziggler and let's say Brian James who of course with the road dog Jesse James is the producer for that program he's the producer for that match creative is going to tell them he Otis is going over Dolph you're going to lose and then it's between Dolph and Otis to get together with Brian James and figure out a finish for the match and that's how it goes now wrestling is the ultimate fan sport because and I said this about WrestleMania, uh, I think they'd have been better off just canceling it. It's the ultimate fan sport because there are these moments. You know, we have game-winning shots in the NHL and game-winning goals. I'm sorry, game-winning shots in the NBA and game-winning goals in the NHL. And you have walk-off hits and home runs and things like that. Or you have you see a team claw their way back from down several touchdowns and stuff like that. And that's awesome. But the fans are still active. When you hit a big spot in a wrestling match, if a guy jumps off a 20-foot ladder in a wrestling match, the whole arena is going to lose their shit. And for wrestlers, they don't really know if they're over unless they're getting... Like, if you're a heel, if the whole crowd is booing and screaming, then you've got tremendous heat, and you know that what you're doing not only in the ring, but when you're cutting promos, your mic skills, all that stuff is working if you're getting tremendous heat. You have to have the fans to tell you if you're getting heat. If there are no fans in the building, you just don't know. If you're a guy who was a heel and they turned you babyface and you want to know if it's working or not, the fans are going to tell you. When The Rock was a babyface and then he went into Survivor Series 98 and... He basically said, fuck the people and aligned himself with Vince and Shane and the corporation. And he won the title and he automatically became a heel because he aligned himself with Vince McMahon. And then he went against Mankind, which at that point made Mankind a babyface because he was a heel. Right? Roll switch. And then they use Rock to get to WrestleMania 15 to put Stone Cold Steve Austin over again. Right? And then... They had the program between Austin and Rock continued after that. They had another match at uh, Backlash, I think was the pay per view after that. Because um, when Austin won the belt at WrestleMania 15, he wanted his Smoking Skull belt back. And Vince told Shane to go to the house and get it. And Shane gave it to The Rock. And The Rock was like, if you want it, come and get it, you piece of shit. So that program kept going on. And then um, the night after Backlash, Austin obviously. Austin won at Backlash. The night after Backlash, The Rock comes out on Raw and cuts a promo on Shane McMahon saying he had the match won till Shane McMahon's Rudy Poo Candy ass. And then Shane interrupted him and was like, who you calling Rudy Poo Candy ass? And that led to The Rock leaving the corporation. So at that point, Creative is turning The Rock babyface again, right? Now, as a fan, you're all watching. You're just like, no, we hated this guy for X amount of months. But at the same time, He's now the opposition to the other guys you hate. So then he's an ally. So for The Rock to know if he's getting over as a babyface, the fans told him. And then that kept building. 
The Rock then went on to lose at WrestleMania in the, in the main event the following year. Uh, WrestleMania 2000, he was screwed by Vince McMahon and hit with a chair. And, you know, all that stuff kept going and going and going, right? But the point I'm making about this is the fans dictate if the heel or the babyface is doing their job. For the heel, if you're getting booed and screamed at and they're calling you worthless and all this and that, then what you're doing is working. You're getting tremendous heat. If you're a babyface and the minute your theme music drops and the fans go nuts and you see kids wearing your shirt and they have signs like Marry Me Rocky and stuff like that, you're completely fucking over. And when you're conducting these shows and you obviously can't have fans for social social distancing purposes, then do you really know? I guess the the only way you know is social media at this point. I guess you can go and read the Twitter timeline and see what they're saying about you. That could kind of tell you if you're over, if you're getting heat or not. It is what it is. But, um, you know, I don't know. I just, I, they have a fulfillment to the USA Network. So, I mean, I get it. Um, again, television contracts. Vince has a contract. They have a fulfillment to the Fox Networks as well for SmackDown. So, I mean, I understand it, but it's just not my brand of wrestling. I mean, Dusty Rhodes isn't Dusty Rhodes if the fans aren't screaming his name. Ric Flair isn't Ric Flair if the fans didn't scream his name. Stone Cold Steve Austin was just a beer-drinking hick from Victoria, Texas until the fans started screaming Austin 316 and etc. So, again, not my brand of wrestling, but who the fuck am I, right? Anyway, um... The tragedy that is the death of Owen Hart, May 23rd, 1999. Again, I believe it was the Kemper Arena. I would have to go back and check. Um, Vice, what they've been doing with this Dark Side of the Ring program is phenomenal. Um, the way that... Uh, the way that they tell the story, obviously, is very good. Uh, it's, it's very intriguing. Chris Jericho, obviously, the narrator for the series, he's doing a great job as well. Um, so, you know, they start off by talking about Owen is the baby of the Hart family, which was interesting. I didn't know that. That was very, very interesting. Um, he talks about how Stu and, and Helen had all the kids and all their sons became wrestlers and then all their daughters went on to marry wrestlers. Again, um, uh, Ellie married Jim Neidhart and then they had, uh, three girls, one of them being Natty and obviously natty is went on to do amazing things not only in the wwe but she wrestled in japan as well a lot of wrestlers you know um to make a name for yourself a lot of pretty much all the great talent cut their teeth in japan at some point right so um obviously now Nat natty one of those people who went on to japan and did phenomenal things and then you know she tried out for she sent audition tapes to WWE for years and, and got nothing and then she went and cut her teeth in Japan and eventually she got signed and she's doing phenomenal and then you had um, uh, Ellie married Jim the Anvil Neidhart of course and then um, I forget which sister was married to uh, Davey Boy Smith who was the British Bulldog and then um, obviously you know as far as the boys who were the most successful ones obviously there's Brett Bret Hart is arguably one of the top five wrestlers ever to, you know, step inside the ring. And then Owen was the baby of the family, which I found that interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that he and, and Bret, I don't know exactly where Bret is in 
age range as opposed to Owen and, and which one of the kids is the oldest. But that was interesting to find out. They showed some old footage from Brett's Wrestling with Shadows documentary. If you haven't seen Wrestling with Shadows, it is on YouTube. And that basically covers Brett leaving the WWF. Um, you know, it shows the program building about how Brett got the belt back and how he was upset that, um, you know, he, Vince, <laughs> Vince made Brett a heel um, because Brett had some issues and Brett had some issues with what creative was doing. And Owen also had these issues too. And that's why they reintroduced the blue blazer. The blue blazer was actually Owen's character very early in his career, but, um, Stu and Helen Hart, from my understanding, I wouldn't say that they were strict parents. Obviously the guy ran a wrestling promotion and he basically trained people in the basement, the Hart dungeon Everybody thinks it's like this crazy, awesome wrestling school. It's literally the basement of the Hart House. And you could be in the living room and hear Stu downstairs in the basement, a.k.a. the dungeon, stretching all these guys out, guys who were like former NFL players and thought they were super tough. And they were like, oh, wrestling's fake. Just teach me a couple of moves so I can break into the business. And Stu's like, okay, well. And then keep in mind, Stu Hart is like 60, 70 years old down there with 20-year-olds stretching them out, and you can hear these grown men screaming for their life. And when everybody always says wrestling's fake, I'm like, okay, well, it's scripted, right? It's scripted for television, but you don't think that these guys get bruised. These ladies and gentlemen get bruised and battered and broken bones and tear ligaments and things like that. Stone Cold Steve Austin had a broken neck and wrestled for years with it. So, um, you know one of the most famous things like just like look at any cactus jack match there was like flames and thumbtacks and think about uh, undertaker throwing mankind off the cell that's a 16 foot drop you can't you know script that the guy you know showed his, his head shows up and then his tooth is hanging out his nostril that's real so i wouldn't say that um that the heart family was strict but Canadians have so several Canadians have different morals than people have here in the US. I'll say that, right? And there's a lot of pride in family in your country and things like that and there's just certain things that certain you know when you talk about the murder rate in the United States versus Canada, drastically different. You know, one of the things about Canada is, you know, they give you free health care. That would never happen here in the United States of America. Uh, no matter how much these, you know, politicians use it when they're campaigning for office, like, I guarantee you free health care. That's not going to happen. It's just not. We live in a very capitalistic country. Free health care is not going to happen because they're making far too much money on medical visits and things like that. Um, uh, so when you're, t you know, when you're comparing canadians to americans things are really really different um obviously there there was a time where they would say our national pastime and our national sport was baseball um that's arguable that's very very uh that's debatable now at best um the ratings and viewers for baseballs and even baseball and even kids that grow up wanting to play baseball has seen a significant drop uh no matter how popular 
the NBA gets in Canada. And it got really popular with the Toronto Raptors and Vince Carter and the Raptors winning the title last year and stuff like that. Hockey will always be the principal entertainment in Canada. They have Hockey Night in Canada. That's a real thing, like where your whole family sits around and watches the watches the game of the week together. That's a real thing. Um, so Canada's very different. So the morals that Brett and Owen had, the morals that Brett and Owen had, many people don't really have those morals here in the U.S. anymore. It was a thing like in the '50s and such. Where, yeah, you know, people where the husband went to work and the wife stayed home and took care of the kids and was a homemaker and you had a nice house with a white picket fence. And not saying that's exactly what it is in Canada. The women are in the workforce, but the family core values are still something that they keep today. And in the 90s, in the 80s in wrestling, uh, Hulkamania, right? Get your sleep, take your vitamins, blah, 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 blah. Whereas if you know anything about Hulk Hogan, he's an exactly straight laced. I'm not saying the guy's drunk or taking drugs or anything like that. or, But, you know, there's been the allegations about him and his marriage to Linda Hogan, you know, or Linda Balea. Obviously, his name isn't Hulk Hogan. His name is Terry Balea. But um, and then when his daughter, Brooke, was seeing a black man, you know, Hogan had some things to say about that and even going as far as to call the kid a nigger. Now, when you grew up on Hulk Hogan, especially as a black person, I took that very, very offensive because I don't know if you guys have ever seen Hulk Hogan's home, but it is absolutely insane. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of land. Uh, it's very classic Victorian architecture. It's just beautiful. It was very well decorated as well. But, <laughs> brother, you wouldn't have had that home if it wasn't for little... And not just black kids, Latino kids, Asian kids, Caucasian kids. All these kids love you. And then to find out later that, you know, for you telling us all this stuff, you really were just playing a character. And it feels like he really didn't give a shit about me. That's my point of view. That's all I'm saying. So, um, but yeah, Hogan was, Vince used Hogan as the conduit to be the superhero in the 80s. And even so, the same way with John Cena here uh, in the past 10 years or so, they always said that, you know, Cena was kind of a heel when he started out, but once he became John Super Cena, there was no turning back. You have to remember John Cena is granted more Make-A-Wish, um, he's granted more Make-A-Wish than anybody in the history of the company. Michael Jordan, Derek Jeter, all those names, all your superstars, you know, the, the people, the ladies and gentlemen who play these comic book characters in the MCU, for all the times they've granted a wish for somebody, John Cena trumps all of them. And he's, like, the next closest person is, like, two or three hundred wishes behind him. So that's just telling you. Um, when Hogan got to WCW, at first it was a big deal. He legitimized them. And after a while, the act got stale, and they wanted to turn him heel. And I was actually watching a documentary where Hogan's agent, agent was on the phone with Eric Bischoff to 2.30 in the morning, and he legit cried, and he said, you cannot turn Hogan heel. He will lose his fan base. He And not like crying, like, oh, no, literally crying, tears. From my understanding, he was like, please do not do this, Eric. So... Again, if you were watching wrestling in the 80s, it was very cartoony. You had these big, elaborate characters. Remember The Undertaker, for what he is now, 
he started out as an undertaker. He, you know, apparently Paul Bearer, you know, they had an urn. It was really all that, all that stuff. The Ultimate Warrior, the guy was roided the fuck out and, you know, may he rest in peace. But he was as cartoonish as could be. Hogan, very cartoonish. Um, Macho Man Randy Savage, you know, his theme song was Pomp and Circumstance. He wore these big, elaborate outfits with colorful tassels. Like, remember the Ultimate Warrior were like neon green and hot pink and stuff like that. Bret Hart wore hot pink. It was very colorful and cartoony and stuff like that. And as we got to the 90s, where Ted Turner had the Turner money to go against Vince. He didn't have the wrestling know-how, but he had the capital to go against Vince. And he he put Eric Bischoff in charge, and Bischoff had the foresight to do certain things that Vince wouldn't do. And when Bischoff threw the money at Hall and Nash that he did, and those guys went over, and they formed the NWO with Hogan, that legitimized them. And it really put WCW on a different path. Now, where WCW started to get very mature, WWF was still still doing very cartoony stuff. And this is about, oh, and I, I'm, I apologize. I'm going to circle back around. I'm just setting the stage for you guys. So, in uh, WCW, very, very mature content. Very mature. You know, and in turn, WWF had to combat them by getting mature as well. Uh, the difference is when WWF went there, the Attitude Arrow Attitude Arrow went through the fucking roof. AOL merged with Time Warner, and in the merger, Ted Turner basically lost a lot of control over Turner Networks. The board of directors had control at that point, and they're like, "Oh yeah, all this wrestling stuff, we don't really understand it, and we don't really care for it." You can't have a bunch of TV guys in suits running a wrestling promotion. It does not work. They never valued wrestling. And just from the merchandise sales alone and the ratings numbers, they should have understood how big it was, but they didn't care. They just didn't care, and that's what it was. They could have put Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, Eric Bischoff, and maybe one other guy in charge of WCW and just cut the checks and got out of the way and things would have been perfectly fine. But they didn't care for wrestling, period. So while Vince is doing the Attitude Era stuff, WCW television is being toned down. And then instead of doing real wrestling stuff, I'll give them credit. Um, If you have been listening to my series on Patreon about The Last Dance, Dennis Rodman skipped practice during the 98 finals to appear on Monday Nitro. That was a big deal. And then a month later, they brought Carl Malone in. And that was a pretty big deal. Then after that, they brought in Jay Leno. Made no sense. They brought in David Arquette and put the world title around David Arquette. Made no, no sense. They brought in the Insane Clown Posse and they brought in Master P and the No Limit Soldiers made no sense they had a bunch of suits just bringing in people from other areas who they thought would give them great crossover appeal and it made no sense they also had kiss perform live on an episode of nitro made no sense so 
They put the clamps on them as far as mature content went, but WWF kept going forward with the Attitude Era, and eventually, obviously, WCW was purchased by Vince McMahon and WWF. Now, as Vince continues with the Attitude Era, people like Bret and Owen did not like the way they were taking the company, and... Brett's main adversary was Shawn Michaels, and at this point, Shawn was not who he is today, where he, you know, got in church, got saved, became quite the family man, and turned his life over to God. And thankful for that, because it's my belief that we would have lost Shawn Michaels like, like we lost a lot of other wrestlers because of the life they were living very fast and drinking and painkillers and stuff like that. Um... But I'm thankful that Sean found religion and found a way to serve the Lord better and all that. And hats off to Shawn Michaels, who was always going to be my favorite wrestler of all time. Um, but Sean appeared in Playgirl, right? Um, there's a scene in Wrestling with Shadows where Brett, Brett is standing in the ring with Pat Patterson. It's hours before a show. And Brett asks him, he's like, are they trying to make Sean a heel? And Patterson says, to my understanding, yes. Now, at this point, Brett is confused because you made me the heel. I have a problem with the content, and you told me to go on air and verse my fr voice my frustration. I'm sorry, voice my frustration. And the fans didn't like that, and they basically booed him and told him to take his ass back to Canada. There were still fans who loved and worshipped Brett Hart, but for the most part, he became a heel just voicing his frustration with what Vince was doing with the company. Then Vince allowed Sean and Hunter to form DX and they start doing the crotch chop. I remember if you wore a DX shirt to school, they would confiscate it and you would have to go home and change or hope you had other clothes in your locker. We were literally walking around doing the crotch chop at school, right? Telling people to suck it. You know what that means. Suck it. Suck it. So, and even that was a, a strange thing because Brett said to Sean, you're nothing but a degenerate. And then, oh, well, now we're Degeneration X, right? Craziest things. Complete happenstance. Um, Brett didn't like where the company was going. Now, the crazy thing is, right before this change started, Brett signed a 20-year deal with Vince McMahon to stay with the WWF. Everybody kept telling Vince, you cannot lose Brett. You lost Scott. You lost Kevin. Um, apparently, Hogan had told Vince at some point when he decided to get out of the business because Vince wasn't really using him anymore, Hogan told Vince he would never compete with him. And Hogan went on to do acting and I don't know if you remember this, there was a show um, called Thunder in Paradise, and it was filmed on the Disney MGM lot, and WCW television was actually filmed on that lot as well. And Eric Bischoff came next door, like, there, um, where the set where WCW's film was right next door on the lot to where Hogan was filming Thunder in Paradise. And for like five or six months, Bischoff came next door to ask Hogan to get back in wrestling. And Hogan was like, no, 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 no. And then finally he was like, fuck it, let's do it. And again, Hulk Hogan legitimized WCW. For his greatest Sting and Ric Flair are and were at that time and still are, they're both iconic, don't get it twisted. 
Hulk Hogan was wrestling in the 80s. He's the reason why it's still on television today. Um, so he legitimized them, but he had told them, he had told Vince apparently he would never compete with him. And it came a point where Vince wasn't using Hulk anymore and, and Hulk went to do TV and then he was convinced to do, to come over to WCW. Macho Man Randy Savage didn't like the fact that Hulk's, I mean, that, uh, Vince put him at the commentary table. He still wanted to wrestle. So he left. Um... They had lost guys like um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan was gone. Um, who else? Gosh. Vince lost a lot of guys to Bischoff. And to Bischoff, it was like, great, we got one of Vince's guys. The thing is, everybody, even for every Michael Jordan, for every Kobe Bryant, for every Shaquille O'Neal, there's a Phil Jackson. For every, for, for every Derek Jeter, for every Alex Rodriguez, well, not A-Rod, but let's say for every Jeter, for every Pettit, for every uh, Rivera, for every Jorge Posada, there is a Joe Torre. You guys can be as good as you want, but without the right coaching, you can't be great. And a lot of those guys, Bischoff signed for the name, and they got a pop when they came out on WCW television, but it never went anywhere. Just like Vince Russo. Everybody's like, Russo did so great at WWF. Why did he shit the bed in WCW? Because he had Vince McMahon as a filter. If you run a bunch of shitty ideas by me and then you run run one good idea by me, I'm going to sweep all the bullshit to the side and be like, this is the one we're going with. Whereas when, when Russo got to WCW, he just ran every shitty idea out there on television. And you could see the talent was getting upset. Um, but anyway, Brett became a heel because he kept his Canadian values and the fans could care less. And then they made Sean a heel. And at this point, if we're both heels, how does this work? You can't put two heels in a program with each other. If you're going to have two heels in a match, you have to have a baby face, so it at least has to be a triple threat match. That's just the way it works. Wrestling psychology tells you it's not going to work with two heels. Like, people look back, look back to the WrestleMania 30 main event. Orton, Batista. Never would have worked. They had to insert Daniel Bryan in there. Not only because Daniel Bryan had been so over with the fans, and if you just look at the social media interactions about Daniel Bryan, they were through the roof. But two heels in that match would not have worked. And also, you cannot put a belt on Batista when he was leaving to go do promotion for Guardians of the Galaxy. That made no sense whatsoever. So anyway, back to the Hart family and Owen Hart's untimely demise. Um, so wrestling with shadows, it shows everything. And then there's a conversation between Brett and his wife, uh, his wife at the time, Julie, um, where... Brett comes back, and he goes down in the kitchen to talk to Julie about a conversation he just had with Vince McMahon. And uh, WCW had offered Brett a very lucrative deal, and he turned it down to stay with WWF. And then months later, or a year later maybe, I think it was like 18 months, Vince basically told him, I can't do the deal. He's like, what are you talking about? We already signed the contract. He's like, see if you can still get the deal with WCW. He's like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? He's like, I stuck it out. I decided to stay with you, and you pull this on me. And he's like, I can't afford to pay you because Turner's trying to put me out of business. Remember, 
Ted Turner was running a wrestling promotion and he had his own networks. He didn't have to pay for the airtime. He didn't have to make a deal with TNT and TBS to run WCW programming because he owned TNT and TBS. He also owned the Atlanta Braves. Ted Turner was set. So Vince had to make a deal with the USA Network to get his stuff on TV, whereas Turner, it was all income. He owned the cameras. He owned the trucks. He owned it all. All he had to do was stick somebody in the truck and drive the damn truck around the country from week to week. That was the beauty of it. So Turner could afford to do whatever the hell he wanted, whereas Vince was crippled by the fact that the WWE Network wasn't a thing back then. The internet wasn't what it is today back then. It was completely different. So, you know, there was the conversation Kevin Nash had with Hall, Hall signed first. And uh, he's like, I pulled Kev to the side because he's my buddy. And I told him like, hey, just letting you know, I know your contract's coming up. This is the deal Turner gave me. And uh, Kev's like, man, that's great money. How many days? And Hall told him 150. And Kevin said, what? That much money for 150 days? And Hall's like, yeah. And Vince went to, I mean, Kevin Hall, Kevin Nash went to Vince McMahon, asked him, could he match it? He's like, I would love to, but I can't because if I do it for you, I have to do it for everybody else. And out of loyalty, Kevin Nash was going to stay. Now, Behind every great man, there is a great woman, and Kevin Nash was married, and is still married to the beautiful Tamara Nash, who was pregnant with their child at the time, and Kevin told her, I'm going to stay, WWF is family, and she grabbed his hand and put it on her stomach and said, no, this is your family, and uh, the next day, Kevin Nash signed his deal with WCW. Bischoff and Turner were hell-bent on putting Vince McMahon out of business. Brett signed and he knew that his last date was to with the company was going to be in November of 97, which culminated with Survivor Series. Now, they put the bread, the belt on bread, I believe it's SummerSlam that year, and Vince told him, we're going to work to putting the belt on Sean. Obviously, you're leaving, and we thank you. And Vince wanted to put the belt on Sean in Montreal, Quebec, at the Survivor Series in 1997, and Brett refused to lose the belt in Canada. And of course, you have the Montreal screw job. And I've covered that. That episode is readily available on here as well as on Patreon. So um, if you're interested, go back and listen. And there's a ton of stuff about the Montreal screw job all over the internet, YouTube, and places like that. So uh, if you want to know more about that, you know, just go. Uh, Go search, because it's out there. In the midst of all this, um, I remember the next night on Raw, Mick Foley didn't show up, and I forget who it was. Vince gave the task, hey, you need to call Foley and see where he is. And uh, Foley saying to who I can't remember exactly who it was on the other end of the phone. He's like, I can't believe Vince would do that to one of the boys. And wrestling's a fraternity, you know. That It's just like hockey, that, like, you know, in the NBA, they don't call each other the boys. In in wrestling circles and in the NHL, it's like, hey, this is about the boys. It's about the boys. Like, it's just a fraternity. Uh, Foley said, I can't believe Vince would do that to one of the boys. Here's the thing, guys. Again, as much as I love Bret Hart, he was wrong. And 
there's a time-honored tradition in the business about doing the right thing. And Brett should know that because he comes from a wrestling family. His dad ran a promotion. Imagine if Stu Hart had put the Stampede Wrestling title on a guy who then signed a deal with another company and Stu's like, all right, we're going to switch the belt out because you're obviously leaving. And the guy told him no. Brett, Owen, and everybody else in the whole Hart family would be fucking livid. And they'd be like, bullshit, you're dropping the belt. WWF was a family company. Vince's dad sold the company to him when it was all about territories. And there's the belief that Vincent K. McMahon Sr., because Vince is Vince Jr., there is the belief that had Vince Sr. known Vince was going to do what he did, he'd have never sold him the company because Vince got the New York territory and then went to cable television and basically took over the U.S., and you still had Smoky, you know, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. You had the Tennessees. You had the Carolinas. You had the NWA, you know, you had which morphed into WCW, you know, depending on who you ask. You had all that, but – and then you had Devon Erickson, Texas. Vince basically got on USA and took the rest of the country. Um, So I say all that to say this. Anyway – you can't, if you're wearing my belt, you can't tell me you're not going to drop the title. I don't know if Vince knew that Brett was going to have the reaction that he did. And had he known, he was wanting a big pay-per-view, you know, payoff. And I get that. He probably should have taken the belt off of Brett earlier. And had he done that, in 2020, we would not still be talking about the Montreal Screwdrop, which happened in November of 1997. Um, but it's still one of the biggest controversies in wrestling. There are some people who still believe that whole thing was a work. And if you're not a wrestling fan, a work is basically an act of fiction. It was all planned. But everybody says, no, it was completely a shoot. So anyway, that night after it happened, Owen, apparently Owen and Davey Boy and uh anvil told brett they were like if you're leaving and vince pulled this shit we're out of here too and brett told them no you guys are still under contract you guys have families just stay here don't worry about it and of course davy boy smith did end up on wcw just like uh brett hart did but owen and um i want to say anvil stayed as well but they didn't really use him that much after that so anyway uh, Owen stayed, and the Attitude Era pushed on stronger and stronger. Um, I will say that the Attitude Era probably started... Some people say when Stone Cold Steve Austin won King of the Ring and and first quoted, uh, Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass. Some people kind of say that. Some people say when Stone Cold Steve Austin first broke through the glass... Some people say Austin versus Bret Hart in the submission match where Stone Cold passed out. Um, but a lot of people have the Attitude Era starting with the Montreal Screwjob. Or a few months later, WrestleMania 14 where Austin won the title. It just depends. The whole thing, though, it's, it's just like happenstance can really fuck you up. They put the belt on Sean. Bret disagreed he would not he wouldn't lay down for Sean and it's funny to hear other people talk about it because 
Triple H was supposed to win the world title at SummerSlam 99, and Austin wouldn't do the job. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't put Hunter over. So what they did was insert Mankind into the match. Austin laid down for Foley, and then the next night, Triple H beat Foley for the title. So Austin obviously has his opinion about the Montreal screw job and how, you know, Brett didn't want to do business, but, you know, two years later, you found yourself in the same spot and you wouldn't do business. So it, wrestling, can, wrestling can be very fucking hypocritical, you know, just based off all the facts. So anyway, um, they had to ring the bell on Brett. He never submitted. He never got pinned. They just rang the bell and then ran the hell up out of the building. But maybe Vince should have you knew he wasn't going to drop the belt in Canada maybe you know title the world title very rarely changes hand on raw certain situations right like the one I just outlined um maybe you should have taken the belt off of him at raw and then maybe at survivor series that year in Montreal Brett still isn't going to lose to Sean so maybe you have Sean lose via disqualification, right, or countout. And then at that point, you keep the belt on Sean because the title can't change hand on a, a countout or a disqualification. That's the easiest way to solve that. But they felt that Brett being who he was and being a child of the business, that there was no way Brett was going to tell them, no, I'm not laying down for Sean. I think everybody was shocked by that. And it just goes to show you the locker room is a fraternity because – Clearly, you guys are all still employed by the company, yet you side with Brett. Had Brett taken that belt like Medusa did, Medusa was the women's WWF women's champion, signed the deal with WCW, and was on the phone with Eric Bischoff and said, hey, I actually still have the belt. Should I give it back to Vince? And Bischoff says, absolutely not. Bring it with you to TV. And then this woman shows up on TV and drops the WWF women's title in the trash can. They had to vacate the title, and the women's title didn't exist for, I think, like a two-year period because of that. All of the backstage talent for WWF had to look at Vince and say, I get it. But they're like, no, Vince screwed over one of the boys. Brett was wrong. And coming from a wrestling family where your dad runs a promotion, Brett knew better than that. So in this instance, Brett was wrong either way you look at it. Just point blank. Brett was wrong either way you look at it. So anyway, they put the belt on Sean. We get to the Royal Rumble two months later. Sean is in a casket match with Taker. Back body drop over the back rope. The casket was right outside the ring. Sean hits his back on the casket. He said he felt fine that night, woke up the next morning, could not get out of the bed. And then we have to make sure Sean can make it all the way to Mania in the spring and put Stone Cold Steve Austin over. And a lot of people say it was hard to work with Sean at that point. But either way, you know, you brought in Mike Tyson as well. Huge payoff, huge payoff. And this is Tyson coming off of biting Evander Holyfield's ear. So... Vince was doing record numbers for everything WCW did to force Vince's hand. Clearly, Vince came out the winner because he acquired WCW, their whole tape library, the IP, every intellectual property 
of WCW is property of Vincent K. McMahon and Titan Sports and the WWE. Crazy. But WWE television kept pushing the needle. You had Sable coming out there with her tits out minus the nipples. You had Val Venus, you know, his whole character was he was a porn star and now he's a wrestler. You know, you had that. You had The Rock doing incredible things. The Rock versus Mankind, the I Quit match. Still one of the most iconic matches I've ever seen. Vince was pushing the envelope, and Brett's gone. He took his morals to WCW, where by the time Brett got there, it was a shit show. Owen's still there, and now we've circled back to Owen. And Owen was not going to do some of the things Vince wanted him to do. He paired him with Jeff Jarrett, and they had a run as the tag champions. But they put Deborah McMichael with him, with them, and then they would make Deborah McMichael go out in a business suit, mini skirt, with a blazer and a blouse open, so you could clearly see her cleavage. And Owen wasn't too happy about that, and they let Jeff Jarrett smash thousands of dollars worth of guitars over people's head and they put them in feuds with the new age outlaws and then x-pox and x-pox and kane and so much talent but vince had apparently other ideas for owen and owen was just not comfortable with it he's like you're not gonna put me in a program where it's going to where you put me with some woman and there's some salacious activity going on i have a wife at home i have young children i have a family i don't want it to look this way remember vince put brett and sean in a program against each other and before there was sable before there was china before there was the bella twins or anybody sunny was the very first diva in the wwf and i still remember Sean cutting that promo on Brett saying, we all know you've had some sunny days lately, alluding to the fact that maybe Brett and Sonny had some sort of extramarital affair going on. And Brett had to hear it from not only Stu and Helen, but his wife as well. So Owen had seen that and said, hey, you're not going to do that to me, right? You're just not. They couldn't find anything for Owen to do. They took the tag straps off of him and Jeff Jarrett, and I forget who they put him on. It. The tag belts changed hands quite a lot during like a two-year period. Um, so what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do with Owen Hart? Well, let's resurrect the Blue Blazer, a guy from Stampede Wrestling, a character that was over. The Blue Blazer was basically hulk hogan without the pomp and circumstance he still told kids to do right in school get their rest take their vitamins but he didn't do it on the level that hulk hogan did so they start trotting owen out there as the blue blazer they were lowering him lowering him from the catwalks of these arenas on a suspended cable and things like that and they're like it's safe vince wouldn't ask any of the boys to do anything he wouldn't do himself and i will say that's true because if you again are a wrestling fan and you remember Shawn michaels entrance to wrestlemania wrestlemania 12 he came in on that cable into the ring and sean's mother his, his parents were like i don't know i'm kind of worried about this and she's like his, sean's like no no vince says it's safe he even tested himself there's actual video footage of vince mcmahon riding the cable to the ring to make sure it's safe so i'll give him that so for months they dropped the blue blazer down from the catwalks of these arenas and it was pretty safe when we got to may 23rd of 1999 
they had had a couple of incidents where it was hard to get Owen out of the harness and it just looked really goofy on TV. So they were going to go with a different contraption to lower him so it would be easier for him to get out off, off the cable and into the ring. Now, I'm not a rock climber, but I've seen the belts and the ropes and stuff like that. And I've seen people do it with the little hat, the little latch carabiner and all that stuff. And those things are pretty easy to get out of. And they lowered Owen Hart from the catwalk of, again, I believe it was the Kemper Arena with one of those little rock climbing carabiners. That's it. That's it. There was no harness or anything else. And, um, wow. So I'm just trying to gather myself because this was a very dark moment um they lowered him and he he had like the feathers on his robe and they got kind of got caught in the the carabina and he released the latch to clear the feathers from the robe and splat right on one of the ring posts with his chest and JR, Jim Ross, obviously the voice of, of wrestling, uh, says he he's like, I'm I see Owen come past me in my my line of sight. And on the little monitor, because they have the monitors right there, um, at the commentary table, he's like, I saw him and um Jerry the King Larler, of course, who was part of the commentary team with Jim Ross jumped up immediately to go to the ring some people believed some people thought that it was a you know a dummy that it wasn't a human being it was just like a mannequin and no it was 100 percent owen in his body and uh lawler went to check on owen and jim ross you know he's got the production team at gorilla in his ear they're like you got to say something he's like hey when you're filming live tv some things tend to happen um, Owen Hart was to make a grand entrance as the Blue Blazer. It looks like we had an accident. And um, Lawler comes back. And the EMTs actually on site, from my understanding, thought it was all a joke. And Owen was known as a river around the locker room. If you ask anybody from WWF who was there at that time about Owen Hart, they'll be like, oh, God, he was a ribbon son of a bitch. He played jokes on everybody. Everybody loved Owen Hart. He was universally loved. So the EMTs thought it was an actual joke. They didn't think it was real. And then Owen's blood is there on the canvas of the mat. And uh, Lawler came back to the table as the EMTs, you know, took Owen backstage and they're trying to put life back into him. He'd already died. And, um,. JR says that when King came back to the commentary table, his face, his exact words, his face was ashen white. It was like he had seen a ghost. And he he said they made eye contact and he could tell he could tell it wasn't good. He could tell it wasn't good. And um they they ran, you know, this is a pay-per-view, so it's not on standard television. So you don't have commercials, but you do have commercials for the people watching it TV at home on TV. You still air commercials from the sponsor, whoever's sponsoring the pay-per-view. Back in those days, there were a couple, there were quite a few um, pay-per-views that were sponsored by Snickers. So if you're watching the pay-per-view, you'll see a Snickers commercial if you're watching on TV. So um, 
in his ear, you know, Jim is like, hey, guys, what is going on back there? Kevin Dunn gets on with Jim Ross in his ear, and he says, uh, oh, he's dead. And he's like, by the way, you're on in. And then he starts counting them down. He's like, you're on in 10, 9, 8. And they gave Jim Ross 10 seconds to somehow sum up to the people watching at home that Owen Hart had just died. And I'm sorry, I have to gather myself because this is still insane all these years later. We're talking almost 20, you know, I'm sorry, it was actually 20 years last year, 20 years last year, 21 years later um, to the day, to the exact fucking day. Um, I remember the whole situation vividly and I remember Jim Ross making the statement and telling everyone on television that Owen Hart had died as a result of the accident. Um, they tried their best, from my understanding, to resuscitate him um, backstage and it didn't work. Um, Owen was coming down for his match and he was taking on the Godfather and... They tell the Godfather backstage, they're like, Owen died. And he's like, wait, what? And they're telling people backstage, you know. And the Godfather was inconsolable. Because every, again, Owen Hart was universally loved. Universally loved. And what happened after this is where it gets really, like, this is sick in itself. But it gets really, really sick after this. Vince McMahon had to make the call to Martha Hart, who was Owen's widow. He calls up to Calgary, and the most interesting part about this now, most of us are watching this on pay-per-view. You would think that maybe the Hart family was. No. Martha and the kids were not watching the pay-per-view. The reason for that is Owen was just using wrestling to get to his next juncture in life he loved it but he wasn't entrenched in it like other guys in the business he there was always something else for owen hart he was just using the money from wrestling to do something else um vince calls martha and he's like um He's like, hey, Martha, it's Vince. And she's like, oh, Owen, cut it out. I know it's you. And he's like, no, no, it's it's really Vince McMahon. And she's like, well, Vince, what's going on? And as much as I love Vince McMahon and I think he's, he's you know, uh, I don't agree with his political beliefs. I'm going to be very open, open and upfront about that. He, before Donald Trump was the president of the United States, Vince and Donald Trump were friends. Um the fir uh, first uh, about two or three of the first five or six WrestleManias were held at Trump Plaza in New Jersey. So their relationship goes back to the 80s. Um, I think Vince is a brilliant man, especially in the business. Well, I think he's brilliant as well as, as in his ways of marketing the business. I've always said that he put the right guys around him to help him run the company and book matches and things like that. The way that Vince handled the Owen Hart situation was absolutely deplorable. The Bret Hart situation, completely different. Bret knew what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to lay down and drop the belt to Sean. 
He didn't want to do it. Caused an uproar. I cannot blame Vince for that. I have to put that blame on Bret Hart. He knew what he had to do. This is completely different. So, in calling this man's wife and children, deliver the news. Vince just said there's been an accident, and I think you should talk to the doctor. That's all he gave Martha Hart. I'm assuming, obviously, he gave the number to the doctor to Martha Hart, and she called the doctor, and even the doctor didn't want to deliver the news. The doctor told her to fly to Kansas because this is the type of news that you should you would rather give in person. And Martha said, I have two children here. You need to tell me what's going on with my husband. And they told her, told her um, there was an accident. He fell. We couldn't resuscitate him. Your, hu- your husband is dead. And Oge, who was the oldest, and then Athena, you know, Owen's son and daughter. Oge heard her crying, and uh, she sat them down, and as strong as she possibly could, she told them that their father wasn't coming home because he had died. And they were very, very young at the time. Oge and Athena are both adults now. Oge is a... um, a lawyer, and I forget exactly what Athena does. They actually highlight them as well in the the episode of um, Dark Side of the Ring. Um, it gets, you know, and you would think that, oh, this is dark and this is the dark. It gets much darker after this. At some part, Martha gathered herself. Um, they made the funeral arrangements. Basically, everybody in WWF came out for the funeral. The funeral procession was at least a mile long. The streets of Calgary were lined with people. Again, I can't say enough. Owen Hart was universally loved. So you could see that love and outpouring there at the funeral. Um, what WWF did that night, a lot of people question why Vince continued on with the show um i don't know if i would have been strong enough to make that decision let me start there in vince's defense and this is the only thing and i still don't know if it's the right decision this is all i'm going to say vince mcmahon had a contract with the cable networks who provided the pay-per-view had he not continued the show, he'd have been in breach of the contract and the legal ramifications would have been pretty bad from my understanding. So, I understand Vince continuing the show. That does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that I agree with the decision to continue the show. Um, eventually... Martha, being the strong woman she was, flew to Kansas City, went to the arena. And oh, by the way, in them continuing the show, they didn't even make an attempt to clean Owen's blood off the mat. Wrestlers wrestled that night on that mat. And also, keep in mind, the ring was damaged from Owen's fall. Vince sent the rest of the talent out there to wrestle on a damaged ring with Owen's blood. Right. So, again, I understand why he continued the show. That does not mean I agree with it. 
Okay? That's all I'm saying. Um, funeral takes place. Uh, Martha goes to Kansas. She flies to Kansas City, and she takes Oge and Athena with her. And uh, Oge recounting this, you know, hats off to that young man. Absolutely very, very brave. Um, she spoke with the crew that rigged him. She went up to the catwalk and took o uh, Oge and Athena with her, and they looked out on the catwalk from the space where Owen was lowered. And they got to see with, you know, their husband and father, the last thing he saw before he died. Um, they basically saw the spot he landed, minus the fact that the ring was no longer there. The thing that is so vivid about this, and I remember this so well, is because the pay-per-view was in Kansas City on a Sunday night. For those of you who are subscribers and you know me, you know that I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Raw was in St. Louis at the Kill, which was the Kill Center at that time is now the Enterprise Center, the home of St. Louis Blues. Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues, by the way, might I add. Anyway, uh, Raw was there the very next night. And the, the show the night after was a tribute to Owen Hart. Um, but anyway, Martha took o Oge and Athena up to the catwalk. And that's very, like, that's these are little kids. That's I'm terrified of heights. I would have pissed myself being that fucking high up. And um, they basically saw the view that their father saw, and which was the last thing he saw as a living, breathing human being. And Martha spoke with the police department. She gathered all the police reports, and she bought suit against Vince McMahon and the WWF. Again, as I said earlier... You thought o Owen's death was the darkest part of this. No, it gets just it just gets worse after this. The Hart family, for all their uh Jesus Christ, their stature and their legacy in the wrestling world handled this terribly. Martha Hart brought suit against the WWF for the death of her husband, which was the son and brother of the Hart family for the death of her husband and to secure, you know, a financial future for her children. And the Hart family told her to get rid of the lawsuit. Well, why? Some of them still had aspirations. Again, like I said, all the boys were wrestlers and all the girls married wrestlers. But of all the boys that were born to the Hart surname, only Owen and Brett made it. Anvil and Davy Boy are related by marriage. Again, Anvil married Ellie, who is Natty's mom. Those are Natty's parents. And I can't remember which, I think it's Georgia. It may be Georgia Hart, the Davy Boy. Yeah, it is. Um, no, 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 no. I could be wrong. No, I believe it is. I don't know. I, I could be wrong. I, don't give me, you know, I don't know if Davey married Georgia. I know Davey has a daughter named Georgia Smith, but I don't know if he married Georgia Hart. But again, the only two boys that were actually born under the Hart surname to make it in the business were Brett and Owen. Um, Smith, no. Um, they just, the rest of the guys didn't make it, but they still held Vince in pretty high regard 
and felt that at some point Vince may need some help or some talent. Keep in mind also, the WWE does go to Calgary and run shows. They run house shows, pay-per-views, live events, all types of stuff. And when they're in town, they need a little extra help. They need some ring hands. They need some talent. So for the Hart family, if we're the number one family in wrestling this side of the border and Vince is going to come up here, hey, guess what? We know we got a payday coming. So they told Martha that even though their younger brother, their youngest brother at that had died at the hands of the irresponsible planning of the WWF, your brother's gone and you tell his widow, hey, why don't you not do this lawsuit thing? Are you fucking kidding me? They literally would go over to Martha's home that she had with Owen and their children under the guise of, we came to check on you and the kids. And you know what they would do? They would steal documents that she needed for her lawsuit against the WWF. Now, I don't know if that came at the behest of Vince McMahon or if they took it upon themselves to do that. But absolutely ridiculous. In the long run, Vince did settle with Martha Hart. And I'd imagine he did it because he didn't want it to go into court and then become a national thing. You have to remember, anything of celebrity, if it went to court, court TV was all over it. There's a reason they called the O.J. Simpson murder trial the most famous trial in the history of the United States. Well, we've had a couple of presidents get assassinated. John F. Kennedy and Abraham Lincoln. And if I remember correctly, someone made an assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan's life. But when Kennedy got assassinated, the trial didn't make television. When, when Lincoln was assassinated, television wasn't even a fucking thing. The radio hadn't even been invented yet. If Martha Hart takes the WWF to trial in the late 90s, early 2000s, where wrestling was dominating television ratings, if you go and look at ratings from the late 90s on Monday nights, Raw and Nitro beat Monday Night Football. Wrestling was the biggest thing on television. So Vince knew good and goddamn well if that had gone to trial, they were going to be on court TV. Vince didn't want it to be bad. He was also moving on into different areas. Two years from that point, he acquired WCW. But I think around that time, Vince took the company public. It was either right before Owen's death or sometime after it. Vince took, you know, there was an IPO for WWF stock. Vince took the company public. He could not in any shape, form, or fashion afford to go to court for that situation. So he had to settle. And uh, with the money, obviously, Martha was able to take care of her children. They started the Owen Hart Foundation. Oge, of, of course, like I said, is now a lawyer. He was able to go to law school. Um, he's a damn good lawyer from what I understand as well. I figured exactly what Athena's doing, but she's very successful as far as my knowledge goes. And Martha is still the head of the Owen Hart Foundation all these years later. 
this is undoubtedly one of the darkest days in the history of wrestling. And it's something, again, I'll always remember because it happened next door. And then the fallout the next day was in my own backyard. And when I say next door, Kansas City, you know, Kansas City is in Missouri. It's a three-hour drive from here. Uh, so it happened next door, and then I saw the fallout in my own backyard here in St. Louis, Missouri. So I, um, it only felt right after they did this, and this is something that, you know, I don't think I've talked about in 20 years since it happened. I remember, you know, me and my friends talking about it. And I remember the next night of Raw where the talent came out and um, I forget who Road Dog was supposed to wrestle and he cut a promo and he's like, how about we say screw this match, we go in the back, we light one up and we tell some Owen stories. And that's what it was. And Vince told them, you know, you guys, if you don't feel like it, you don't have to wrestle today. You don't. If you want to go out and say something about Owen, you can. And uh, I remember the show closing with The Rock cutting a promo, talking about how much he loved Owen and missed him. And whoever his opponent was that night, it was a squash match. Rock went over famously. and uh, But it was the, the main event on the card for Raw that night. And at 99, I was... Uh, uh, I was a month, I was actually a couple of weeks away from my sixth, no, my 17th birthday, I'm sorry. So yeah, I was 16 years old, and I had never seen anything like that. I grew up in an era where things happened in live time. You know, I've talked about it before when I talked about The Last Dance, about the O.J. Simpson, you know, that whole situation. I remember the Ford Bronco chase basically interrupting the 1994 NBA Finals. You know, that was two days after my birthday. It was June 12th of 1994. It was my, you know, my 12th birthday. I remember that vividly, and it's something I'll always remember. It's just like a lot of people, you know, our parents saying, well, do you remember where you were when, when President Kennedy was assassinated or Martin Luther King was assassinated or Malcolm X was assassinated? I will always remember what I was doing when the, the Bronco chase happened. I will always remember watching Over the Edge in my cousin's basement and watching Owen Hart plummet to the ring. I will always remember where I was when I heard the first plane hit the tower on 9-11. It was my sophomore year of college. These are just timestamps in my life, and they're all very, very sad, sad, uh, you know, situations. And... Now, I'll always remember. I'll always remember where I was when I found out that Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash, and you know his daughter and the members of the Altabella family and everybody else on the heli on board. And uh, I'll remember where I was when the nation was shut down due to the COVID nineteen virus. And these are timestamps of my life, and. Every 10 years, every decade in your life, if you get to see multiple ones, they're chapters. And what I, I will always tell you guys this, please stay safe and remember that we're all humans and let's just try to fucking love each other because I am C.M. Punk. <laughs>